Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. So the fourth beatitude, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. It's a longing, a yearning for justice in the midst of all that's wrong, in the midst of oppression and all the hurts and pains. We long for order. We long for the kingdom of God to come from heaven to earth. Amen? So important. But the fifth one brings a little bit of attention to true justice, and it says... Blessed are those who are merciful or show mercy, for they will receive mercy. And what is mercy? Mercy is simply when we get something that we don't deserve. Rather, let me say it like this. Grace is a gift that we receive that we don't deserve. Mercy is a punishment that we don't get even though we do deserve it. And so, whereas justice is important, mercy is really important for us to exist and breathe and live. Let me give some examples of this. In the early days of Jesus' ministry, he saw a tax collector named Matthew and decided to invite himself over for a meal. At the house, several tax collectors joined Jesus. Several people called sinners joined Jesus. And then the religious leaders say, what are you doing, Jesus? You're supposed to be this rabbi. You're supposed to be a messiah. You're supposed to bring us freedom from our Roman oppressors. And now you're having a meal with a tax collector. You're having a meal with sinners. You're associating with the very kind of people we're wanting to overthrow because the people of Israel, the Jewish people of Israel, were not able to manage their own land. They are under the ruler and oppressing power of the Roman military. The Roman military that had taken people, taken land by force and by violence and by war power, by political power. And now Jesus is associating with the very people they hate. Why are you eating with our oppressors? Why are you eating with sinners? Why are you associating with Republicans? Why are you eating with Democrats? Why are you taking time to be with racists? Why are you associating with Denver Broncos fans? <laughs> and they're just horrified. You shouldn't be dining and associating with the very people you're supposed to sacrifice on the ministry of taking our land back in the name of Jesus. But then Jesus says something really, really powerful, and it's one of my favorite verses. In Matthew 9, while Jesus was Having dinner in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And I think that's something we ought to learn, especially in our conflict and war-hungry American culture. He desires mercy and not sacrifice. And as we look at the life and the teachings and the words and the ways of Jesus, there's a powerful observation, and it's this. Time and time again, Jesus rather be excluded for who he included than included for who he excluded. Jesus, he went after the marginalized and the ostracized and the outcasts of society even when it wasn't popular, even when it ruined his reputation, even when it put him at risk of being canceled. That's our God. He included the outcasts of society. And today, if you've ever been afraid to come to this church service, Maybe you're here for the first time because you thought Christians would just point fingers at you and judge you, and the God would be so displeased that you're here. I want to let you know that's the opposite environment of what Jesus creates. We are so glad that this room is filled with people who are not perfect, me being the chief one. I am a sinner, and I'm thankful for the mercy of God. Anybody with me this morning? And so this passage is good because it demonstrates to us that, yes, justice is good, but in the world of Jesus, mercy triumphs over judgment. It's true, and I'll explain that with more scriptures. You know, I was reminded of some bachelor parties I got asked to throw a number of years ago. I love throwing bachelor parties because I have so much power to torture. And I, I remember Andrew Jennings, who was playing keyboard here this morning. I got asked to throw his bachelor party, so I, I took him and a group of guys to this pond, frozen water. We put him on a chair on this frozen ice in the dark of night. We surrounded him with a ring of gas and napalm, lit it, and it became a ring of fire that would submerge him into the cold, dark waters. We had no idea if there was currents. We had no idea how deep it was, but it's a bachelor party. And he was supposed to answer questions about his fiancée, Rachel, now Rachel Jennings. And every time he answered a question wrong, one of us would take a sledgehammer and hit the ice he was on. And uh, he got a lot of answers wrong because he was so scared. And he eventually fell into the ice. Well, thankfully, Rachel's brother had mercy on him. I didn't, and tied a rope around an ankle so he did not die. And he lives to this very day. Glory to God. Another time, I was asked to go to the, the deep south of rural Mississippi, and uh, I realized there's not a lot of people named Pradeep and Jivanohar and Sivaretnam there. And at this bachelor party in this very strange environment for me, who was born and raised in the north in Minnesota, we got a little rowdy, one thing led to another, and I end up whipping the groom with a dog collar in the face, and I open up a wound. Really painful. He is so mad at me, he says, you have to call my fiance. So I, I, I'm like, hey, Claire, sorry, I, I whipped your fiance with a dog collar. He's going to have an open wound on his face during the whole ceremony. Um, but... I'll tell you what, I'm the wedding photographer, so I will, I will give you half off on Photoshop. <laughs> I'll do that for you. I will do that for you. So we're at this wedding ceremony, rural Mississippi. People come up to Ryan the groom. Hey, what, 
what happened to your face? I don't have a great southern accent. What happened to your face? And he, he, he would say, well, par, Pardeep in the Sri Lankan whipped me with the dog collar. I was like, I am going to get killed. This is so scary. I do not feel safe. <laughs> so it gets time for my bachelor party. And all of these guys, they're like, it's payback time. I'm going to give you what you deserve seven times stronger than anything we receive. I'm terrified. I'm so scared. And so I go to Amritha, who is my fiance, and I say, you have to plead for mercy. Yes, it's right for them to torture me. Yes, it would be justice for me to receive punishment for what I did to them. But I, I plead, I beg for mercy. Justice is good, but mercy would be better in this moment. And so she says, honey, I don't know what I can do, but let me talk to them. And she just says, all right, boys, you can do whatever you want to predict them from the neck down. Just don't ruin the pictures. I was like, come on, Eddie! Are you serious? I wanted mercy. I did not get it. I did not get it. You know, this idea of justice and mercy, these tensions, even in the Beatitudes, are I threw out the scripture, and I feel like this might be the most difficult Beatitude for us to accept. Because we are a vengeance, revenge, eye for an eye, tit for attack kind of community. Our news cycles are all about who do we judge this month? Who do we judge this week? Who do we paint as the enemy? We love movies like The Avengers, not The Pardoners, right? We, we, we want revenge. There are subreddits on the internet like Petty Revenge and Malicious Compliance. We want to give people what they deserve. When someone is riding us, behind us, when we're driving on the highway, we're not just graceful. No, we brake check them. If someone cuts us off in traffic, what do we do? We cut them off off in traffic and all the road ragers said amen we love revenge we love it so much and this beatitude is very very challenging and i think in light of all the beatitudes for those of us who have been discipled by america for those of us who have been discipled by media this is the hardest one for us to accept and so we must recognize jesus does say blessed are those happy are those lucky are those who show mercy, for they will receive mercy. So what is mercy? Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. You know, in John 8, there's a famous story where a woman who's married uh, gets caught cheating. She's labeled the adulterous woman. And a religious group becomes an angry mob and says, Jesus, we want to stone this woman to death. The Jewish law says we have the rights to do this. And Jesus, even knowing the Jewish law, decides not to oversee this woman being stoned to death. And I, I want to read that, picking up in John 8. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Oh, we love to put people in front of crowds, don't we? Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They're trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. 
When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. The Jewish law demanded that this woman was stoned to death. They had every right to do this. Imagine being the other man, finding out your wife just cheated on you. Imagine being the other woman, seeing just pain and tragedy. And Jesus gives her a free pass. You see, the idea of mercy is right here. Jesus didn't feel right about using all of his rights because he cared more about the person than the law. And this is the reality. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I want to bring some disclaimers here because I know we live in a community of activists and we want to see the wrongs of the world righted. But uh, Jesus doesn't always treat things fairly. Sometimes when we're called to judge and hurt, when someone is worthy of being punished by the law, Jesus doesn't always treat it fairly. Sometimes he shows mercy. And when it comes to the systematic sins of the world that are very real, I love justice. But when it comes to my own personal shortcomings and sin and failures, I love mercy. Don't you? And I'm not saying Jesus says this is right, adultery is okay, abuse is okay. I'm not saying that sin is okay. I'm not saying that because he does say to the woman, go and sin no more. It's not just a free pass. It's a call to a life that's changed. But he doesn't want her growth story to end there. He doesn't want her to die. He wants her to be redeemed. And justice is great, but justice will never heal the world. And Jesus cares about our healing. Jesus cares about our reconciliation. Jesus cares about our future. Amen. Amen. Mercy, I love this quote right here. Mercy does not cover or defend sin. Instead, mercy shows compassion for those who have sinned and seeks to reconcile them with the Lord and each other. Jesus, in the name of mercy, stood between the woman and the angry crowd, and I believe he's still doing it today. Jesus stands between the sinner, the unrighteous, the person who committed horrible acts that's not okay in the eyes of God, but he still defends them anyways. And this is so contrary to our culture, because as Christians, as Americans, we like to kill the wounded. We like to cancel people. We like to ostracize people. You are wrong, and so I'm going to put you on blast. You are wrong, so I'm going to make sure nobody interacts with you. You are wrong, so I will never associate with you. We've lost the art of seeing the humanity and the nuance in people. And so I think this message and idea of mercy is very difficult for us to accept, especially when it comes to oppressors. I wrote it like this. The good news of the kingdom isn't the survival of the fittest, but the survival of the weakest. Jesus doesn't cancel us in our weakest moments. 
He draws near and heals us. Yes, mercy can't exist without justice. If right and wrong don't exist, there's no reason for punishment or forgiveness. However, in our thirst first to right the wrongs of this world, remember justice without mercy is mean, and mercy without justice is meaningless. God desires mercy over sacrifice. In high school, I uh, was approached by this beautiful girl, and she said something very ugly to me. She said, Pradeepan, I just moved here from Alabama, and my parents told me I can't be friends with people that look like you because of the color of your skin. She said, I, I can't associate. I said, that's, that's racism. She said, it's just my culture. It's the way I was raised. And at this time in high school, I just want to warn you, we're not preaching about being meek this week, but I was really popular in high school. <laughs> not preaching about being meek. I was uh, voted most popular, no big deal, whatever. I'm a human just like you. I, I was voted best smile, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> don't look. I, I was, but don't look. It's, don't. And I, I share that partly to break on myself, but mostly because I had the power to incite an angry mob against this girl. I could have used the race card. I could have said, hey, we have a racist at our school. Nobody associated with her. Let's, let's make a, a Twitter blast regime here. Let's expose her. Let's out all the racism in the school. Let's point the finger at her. Let's get back. Let's bring an eye for an eye culture. Let's torture her because she's wrong. She's evil. And I don't think things today are that much different than they were for me in high school. That's what our culture tells us to do. But this was around the time where I had recently become Christian, and I, I heard messages about the words of Jesus that say, hey, even sinners love people who are good to them. But Jesus calls us to love those, to bless those who curse us, to not return evil for evil. In fact, we're called to love our enemies and pray for our enemies. And I, I didn't know enough of the Bible to explain Jesus' words away with American culture. I just believe Jesus. And so I, I sought to love her, and that's exactly what I did. I included her in my friend group. I invited her to parties. I helped her with her homework, and I loved her. I treated her like a daughter of God. I treated her like a human. And at the end of our year, right before graduation, this girl came up to me and she said, Pradeepan, you've changed my mind. I've decided to go against the teachings of my parents. You're my friend, and I can't be racist anymore. Your love has changed my heart and my mind. That's the power of mercy. Could I have judged her? Yes. Would it have been within my rights? Yes. Would you have joined me in a campaign against her? Probably. But mercy triumphs over judgment and justice. Amen? And this is the Jesus way. And this is something we don't want to do. This isn't something I believe we can even do in our own strength. We need God to help us. Oh, Lord, would you show us mercy and given us the strength to show mercy? And I'm thankful for mercy, but there's also a warning within this beatitude. And it's this, number two. Jesus shows the least mercy for those who show the least mercy. You know, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness... The scripture says we will be filled, but that's a double-edged sword. 
Because I know if the pure justice and righteousness of God came this moment, I would be the most judged person on earth. Because I am a sinner. Anybody with me? I hurt people. I wrong people. Many times I'm in the angry mob. I am a human. I get hurt and I lash out. And I participate in systems of oppression and justice. I know that my phones are built on the back of cheap labor. I know that porn viewing fuels sex trafficking. I know that my lifestyle can only work if some people are kept poor forever. I know if the swift arm of justice came purely today, I would be judged harshly. Anybody with me? And Jesus makes these scriptures so much more difficult. Did you know Jesus says, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed the sin of adultery? Did you know that? He also says, if you even look at someone with anger and malice in your heart, you've committed the sin of murder. I am guilty of both of those things. If justice came today, I would be in trouble. James 2 gives a response to this, and I'm so thankful for these words. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment, check this out, watch this. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. But praise the Lord, mercy triumphs over judgment. But do you see that warning here? Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. If you need a kindergarten explanation of this, it's this. When you point one finger at someone, you've got three pointing right back at you. Try it like this and don't you dare point like this. <laughs> this is the truth of the scripture. We need mercy. And when we don't show mercy to our political rivals, we don't get mercy. And this is painful. When we don't show mercy to those who hurt us, we don't get mercy. When we don't show mercy to our oppressors, we don't get mercy. You know, and we live in a culture that loves to point fingers. Even right now, how many of you have seen yet another moral failure from a pastor on the news on Twitter, have you seen these things? Just this last week, one of the most famous pastors in the world, a global Christian brand, had a moral failure. And it seems like so many people are just eager to say, oh, I saw this coming. All of those pastors are just money hungry. They're just power hungry. They're just abusive. Oh, I'm so much better than those people. Oh, we need to cancel all these people. We need to hurt all these people. We just need to wipe out and clean out the church with all the sinners. We need a clean house. And while I, I understand our hunger and thirst for righteousness is a blessing, and I, I realize there are power dynamics in the church and there are abuses, and that's not okay. It's never okay. I do know that justice will not heal the world, but mercy will. And I know that there are a lot of pastors that I've contacted on the phone after they've had a moral failure, when nobody's talking to them, and they'll say, Pradeepin, you're the only person who's called me. 
And this breaks my heart because I know as a pastor, we're many times the first people to reach out and say, hey, what's going on with you in your trial, in your sin? How can I pray for you? How can I love you? How can I be there for you in your moment of weakness? But these pastors, as soon as they hit a moment of weakness, they're exposed publicly. Everybody turns their back on them. And it puts the fear of God in me. Because I know every time I hear a moral failure, I want to be honest, my instinct isn't to judge them. Because I know I'm a sinner. Because I know I am capable of horrible things. And so when I, I hear reports of another pastor that falls, I want to let you know my instinct now, because I know my weakness, is to say, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because I know greater people than me have fallen. And I want to let you know, I'm not decreeing this or prophesying this, but if you place your trust in me, I am going to fail you. It's just a matter of time before I fail, because I need the grace and mercy of God every single morning. I need it so desperately. If you idolize me just because I'm on a platform, you'll eventually demonize me, because I will fail. I will fail. So when I see a moral failure of another pastor, I'm not, I'm not saying that's okay. I'm not saying there shouldn't be systems of accountability. But I am saying, Lord, have mercy because I am capable of all the sins that anybody has ever committed. And James says, when you break one law, you break every single law. So, Lord, have mercy. Anybody here thankful for the mercy of God? And so I, I, I just believe this. I wrote it like this. When we get to the judgment seat of Christ, I doubt many of us will cry out for justice. We'll see the ways we've fallen short and benefited from systems of oppression. We want justice when wronged, but we want mercy when wrong. Amen? And so Jesus stands between this adulterous woman and the angry crowd, and he eventually stops the angry crowd with one moment of self examination as people examine their own hearts. He says in verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And so he calls them to reflect on themselves. The person who has never sinned, throw the first stone. And they began to Walk away after that moment of self-examination. You know, I, I want to break down Jewish culture. This might be a, a revelation for some of you today. But in Jewish society, we see that they brought out the adulterous woman alone in the middle of the crowd. But in Jewish society, this might be revelation, this might be a surprise, it took two people to have sex, okay? For adultery to happen, there had to be two people. You can't commit adultery by yourself in society. How many of you guys are learning this for the very first time? <laughs> I'm not trying to be crude, but that's just the reality. And so let me, let me get my sassy self out. All right, they pulled out the adulterous woman, but where the man at? Come on. <laughs> mm. And so I, I can't help but wonder, was he in the crowd? Was he overseeing this? Because we like to ostracize women. We have double standards, don't we? <laughs> and they hear this. All right, let the first person without sin throw the first stone. And they all left. One moment of self-examination. One moment of saying, Lord, have mercy. I am a sinner. 
I've made mistakes. Lord, please don't bring pure justice right now because I need your mercy desperately. The reality is we are excellent lawyers when it comes to our own sin. We can justify ourselves. But we're great judges when it comes to the sins of other people. Yeah. <laughs> That's the reality. I, I love this quote by Pastor Brian Zahn. Maybe you can be trusted to wield rage righteously, but I'm pretty sure I can't. My rage most likely will do little more than add to the ugliness. So in trying hard not to be ugly, I need to choose a posture of compassion. I don't mean a quietism or passivity that avoids prophetic confrontation. Rather, I mean prophetic confrontation that comes from a place of genuine love for all, not just for the victims, but for the victimizers as well. Yes, this is hard, but when we decide some sinners are unworthy of being loved, we have sided with the crowd against Christ. The phenomenon of the Satan can operate just as diabolically among those who are on the right side of the issue. When the crowd of cruel Pharisees was ready to stone the woman caught in adultery, Jesus did incite a righteous crowd to stone the cruel crowd. That's how the Satan wins. What Jesus did was break the spell of the mob with a call to individual self-reflection. So I want to challenge us today with this. Let us be offended by what offends God, but let us pardon what God pardons. Amen? May mercy triumph over justice. You know, when I first moved here to plant Kayla's church with Pastor Amritha, we had over $100,000 worth of debt. Anybody with me? When it came to student loans and all of that. We uh, found out that our loan company, I think it was Sally Mae, ended up selling that loan to another company called Navient, and Navient ended up selling to a company called Great Lakes, and they're getting like $70 a month payments for me. So I said, hey, can we do a deal of mercy here? I know I owe you all this money, but maybe you can cut us a break. I know you're about to sell this loan to another company instead of just getting $70 a month. What if I did a little portion that's a little, uh, 10% and we call it even? And they, they took the deal. They said, if you paid $10,000, we'll clear $100,000 worth of your debt. How many of you guys want to talk to me after service about how I did that? <laughs> amen, amen. I see your hand. Honestly, I will share that with you. And I, I remember feeling the relief of the debt being lift off my shoulder. I mean, it's scary to be in that much debt. I was like, how am I going to have a future? How am I going to take care of a family? It was like my number one prayer request for years. And in a moment, my debt was relieved. And I, I, I want to let you know, you have the power to do that for someone who feels like they owe you because they've wronged you. You have the power to clear a debt with your mercy. You have the power to, to lift weight. And I know it's not easy because justice says, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But that leaves the whole world blind. We need healing in our society. And I know this message seems like, you know, okay, that's the Jesus way, but I, I don't know if I can do that. It's impossible. Well, I believe the Lord can help you. The Lord will show you mercy in your inadequacy to show mercy. But it's the calling of us. And I, I remember feeling the, the relief of my debt being lifted up. And I remember this the story Jesus shares in Matthew 18, and he says there's this king who, uh, who lent out 10,000 talents, which would be about 60 million days of work worth of money. And he, 
He wants his money back, and then the person pleads for mercy. Please have mercy on my debt. Please have mercy. There's no way I could ever pay back 60 million years worth of work. Like, I can't, I can't do it. And the king says, I will have mercy on you. I'll clear your debt. You're good. You don't owe me a thing. But then this person who is just free of all of this debt, he finds out someone owes him 100 denarii, which would have been 100 days of work. And he doesn't have mercy on this person who's asking for mercy. And the king hears about this, and it upsets him. How dare you not show mercy to this person who owes you far less when I cleared you of far more? And in Matthew 18, 32, it says, Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. When you don't forgive others, you risk losing the forgiveness of God. Blessed are those who show mercy, for they will receive mercy. But there's a warning to those who don't show mercy. You're going to experience great pain having bitterness in your heart, having that unforgiveness fester in your heart, I'm telling you what, it will ruin you. It will tear you apart. But God can help us. So this morning, for those who have hurt you, for those who have wronged you, would you take up the spirit of the cross where Jesus, when the religious leaders teamed up with the powerful in government to torture Jesus, to place him upon the cross This ugly moment became the most beautiful moment because Jesus said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the spirit of mercy that we desperately need in our hearts. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Lord, we know that forgiveness isn't a one-time event. Lord, would you help us to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive? Would you help us to remember the mercy you've shown us that we have hurt people, we have wronged people, and we desperately need your mercy. Lord, we're thankful for a day where true justice will flow, where the rights of this world will come into be from heaven to earth. But until then, Lord, would you show us mercy and help us to show mercy to others. Even right now, the Holy Spirit might be putting a name or a face or an event your heart. And I'm not saying that you're giving a free pass and saying that this was okay. That's not what mercy is. It's not saying this is okay, but it's saying I'm going to not give you the punishment you deserve. So Lord, help us to do that. We pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.